My name is Craig. Um, I'm not a regular preacher here, um, so it's quite a dangerous thing to give the dude who's leaving the microphone for 20 minutes or so. So uh, if you've got any issues, James's fault. All right, so we are, we're a week away from Christmas. Uh, yep, next Sunday is Christmas, I know. I don't know how you feel about Christmas. Maybe you uh, went to the Westfield yesterday just to get your bread and milk, and it took you four and a half hours to find parking, get in and out. And you just absolutely hate Christmas because shopping is so terrible. Maybe you are a Christmas person and you've been wearing that Christmas jumper in 37 degree heat. You've got Mariah Carey and Michael Bublé on loud. Uh, your Christmas lights up around your house. Maybe that kind of uh, Christmas person. Maybe you are, I don't know, uber stressed about Christmas because you haven't had any time to get presents. Your plans are all over the place and you're just finding things pretty stressful at the moment. Or maybe you're quite sad because you uh, are normally with family and friends over Christmas and you haven't been able to do that because of COVID or travel expenses or whatever it might be. Um, or maybe you have five days left of work and you are, uh, have a sweet taste of holiday just around the corner. So maybe you're in one of those brackets. Um, but I thought today that we would have a look at the experience of some people who experienced that very first Christmas and see what their experience was like and what we can learn about it well, I want to put it to you this morning that this uh, story of the three wise men or uh, we three kings of Orient are is actually wrong. And uh, I want to entitle my message today, We Three Kings of Orient Are Not. And we're going to have a look at that very first Christmas experience and see what these guys went through, or maybe they were not guys, and have a look at what that experience was and what we can learn about. So let's read the story of the three wise men. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. If you have an old school Bible or if you have a phone, don't look at your social media, or it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, uh, we're reading from verse 1. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for... From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to, come, not to return to Herod, they departed on their own, to their own country by another way. So before we look at the application of the story, I thought I want to try and attempt to right some wrongs. As I said, I think the title is wrong. So firstly, it was, it's not clear that these magi were actually kings. Uh, magi is the word that we get for magicians, uh, they were astrologers, uh, and none of these original gospel texts or manuscripts that we have actually call them kings. So where does this come from? From uh, the research that I was able to conduct diligently, it said it came from around about the 6th century where um, 
people were trying to get you to pay homage to the emperor. So they turned these kind of guys into kings as a way of you uh, trying to worship the church and the state. So this was a bit of a social construct. Um, but if you actually look at this script, Matthew, the guy who wrote the script, he doesn't want these, uh, these magi to be kings even. Uh, to the contrary, Matthew doesn't, doesn't favor kings. He doesn't favor earthly kings. Uh, king Herod, the guy that we wrote about, Matthew, quite deliberately puts the title king with a small k in front of his name. Uh, he represents Roman rule, and he was a tyrant. He's been involved with the slaughter of thousands of innocent people, women and children. Uh, and Jesus himself actually talks about this in Mark 10. He says, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. I think Matthew wants us to see these magi as servants, which is appropriate, because the magi uh, were often viewed as servants in the royal court. In fact, the only other reference that we have to this word uh, magi in the Bible, where the same word is actually used, comes from uh, Daniel chapter 2, which uh, the king at the time, Nebuchadnezzar, summoned the magi to come and uh, tell him what his dream was and interpret uh, his dream because he was very stressed and uh, worried about what this dream was. And Daniel and his mates were able to uh, tell the king what the dream was and interpret it for him. Um, so the Magi were actually servants. They weren't, they weren't kings. Uh, and this is actually an excellent sidebar promotion opportunity because we've just finished a series in Daniel, uh, which you may have been here for. To hear somebody, if you haven't, you can get onto our YouTube channel, subscribe, and you can watch some of those messages we actually hear about Daniel in more detail. So that was the first one, is that I actually don't think they were kings. Secondly, the Bible actually never mentions that there were three of them. So maybe you've seen this image before. There's some three guys there. Does anyone know the names of these three wise men historically? Anyone? Okay, so they were called Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. There's some general knowledge trivia for you. And the story goes that Caspar was the king of Sheba, and he bought frankincense. Balthazar was the king of Egypt, and he bought myrrh. And Melchior, the king of Arabia, bought gold. And that's so how it goes. But if you look at the original word, as I said, magi, it's a plural, which I suppose the only thing that we can really claim was that there was more than one. So historically, the number of magi that served in king's courts varied over the years. So we can't actually assume there was any specific number. But I suppose where it comes from is because they bought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we just assume it was three blokes who bought those gifts. Practically speaking, though, in those days, for three people to travel from a long distance away, three people traveling on their own would have been really dangerous, really risky, and really hard for those three guys to travel so far on their own. So it was all likely that they were actually traveling in a really large group with a whole lot of people for safety's sake and for all the resources that they would need. Um, but it's unlikely that there were three of them. Thirdly, it's possible that they weren't even from the Orient. Now, have a look at verse 2 in your Bibles. You might see a little footnote there that it says that the word, next to the word star or the word rose, what does it say? It says that the star rose in the east. Okay, now I'm quite a logical guy, but if, if something rose, rises in the east, where am I coming from? The west. Like that, that there's east, here's west, and I'm, I'm following to the east. So it's a bit debatable as to where these guys were actually coming from. We just assume it's from the Orient because we go, oh, that's east. But that's not actually true. The original Greek word here said they could be translated either way, that the Magi were traveling from Babylon to Israel, or they were coming from Rome to the east. So there's some controversy there for you right there. If you look more closely at the gifts, maybe that's why we assume that they are from the Orient, because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these come from sort of Arabian and Oriental places. But in that day and age, there was lots of trading, lots of marketing going on. So those gifts were 
uh, available everywhere. If we put on our uh, historical hats, we would likely assume that the Magi were actually from Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and not from Far East Asia, as we probably uh, assume. And I suppose the importance of this for us is that Babylon was, was the capital of paganism. It was a really modern city. It was a center of commerce and art and learning, and in fact, very opposed to God and His ways. So this is something just to keep in mind when we get to the application part a little bit uh, later on. So fourthly, if you read in the chapter closely and this historical context, these guys actually probably weren't that wise and actually somewhat foolish. Now read carefully. Um, it says they were scholars, but I don't know if you've met any scholars. Sometimes they are clever, stupid people. They are got PhDs, but they never know where their car keys are. These, I think, are those kind of people. Um, in fact, many magi in historical texts are, are compared to Balaam, which was that guy with the donkey, where his donkey was smarter than he was. Okay, so let me explain to you why I think they maybe were somewhat foolish. Okay, so the question they ask, they go to King Herod, and they say, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? And this is at best politically non-astute. So Herod, he had called himself the king of the Jews, and he was on the throne, and he was known for his jealousy and his paranoia. He'd, uh, he was known, known for this all over the world because he'd killed his own children, his own siblings, any of his rivals that he thought were going to take his crown, he just killed them. Um, and this plot was famous around the world. So let's put it into some modern context. It would be like me going up to Kim Jong-un and saying to him, excuse me, do you know where I might find the new supreme leader of North Korea that's just been born? Um, let's just consider how that uh, might be responded to if I asked that question. Uh, after all, I mean, Herod was provoked to slaughter all the children under two years old after he heard this message. Uh, don't you think these wise men could have prevented all this carnage by being a little bit more astute? You think these guys who are book-smart scholars, they've read about the star that they're following, they might have done a little bit of research. You know, when you're doing a long travel, you, tr you do some, some preparation beforehand. What do we need? Where are we going? Who are we going to encounter? What are some of the issues might face? We might need a visa. You know, I don't know what kind of issues they might have faced. You'd think these clever dudes would have actually thought this through. So maybe not so wise. Finally, we've actually got no direct evidence to suggest that they were exclusively men. Controversial, I know. So if you look at some of that uh, Renaissance art back in the day, there were many females that were actually painted and portrayed during these times. And it comes from this perception, I suppose, that uh, Europe and Africa were these sort of exotic places, lots of mystery and lots of interesting things. But as I mentioned earlier, if they were traveling in, in large groups, it's all likelihood that there was... Uh, women and children and families all traveling together along with them. So, I'd like to take this opportunity to formally apply for the changing of the title of this passage. And I acknowledge it's probably not as catchy as the original one. And that's, uh, you know, something, I'm, I'm all for accuracy rather than catchy lyrics. That's probably why I haven't really made it as a, as a hip-hop artist just yet. So, this is the, this is the title I'm going for because this is accuracy. So, it's not Three Wise Men anymore. It's called now... A mixed group of interested, book-smart servant travelers with some strange gifts coming from far away. Yeah? Yeah, it's smooth. Smooth. It's accurate. Okay, so you might be thinking, okay, Craig, you've uh, had your chance to uh, try and prove what you're saying, but who cares? What relevance does that have to me today in 2022 
Other than that, you just destroyed every nativity play that I've ever been in. Well, whilst I've attempted to provide some alternative views and some uh, interesting ways of interpreting this story, it could also equally be argued that there were just three wise men. So today, I just want to try and pull out a few small things that we can learn from this story of the mixed group of interested book smart servant travelers with some strange gifts coming from far away. So I've got four takeaways from us, so hopefully you can pay attention, you haven't fallen asleep yet. The first thing is that the Magi read and they believed God's word. Hopefully from my introduction this morning, you will be encouraged to read your Bible a little bit slower and a little bit more deeply and look at each of the individual words. Not just a peripheral reading of it, just skim over, but really study it. As we've discovered, one word can change the whole meaning of a passage. So this might not be a direct link to what the Magi did back in those days, but I'm hoping uh, just in my little amateur analysis of what was going on, you can see that there's some real depth when we dig down into Scripture. Now these... These magi, they would have known some of the old parts of uh, the Old Testament uh, prophecies and scriptures, but they didn't have the whole picture like we do today. And as you can probably tell, I'm not a regular preacher. This is not my full-time job. Um, but the thing I actually find the most enjoyable about preaching is the sort of being compelled to actually go and do the work and to really study the scripture and to uh, read some commentaries and to prepare and it might, th- this kind of story I've read a thousand times, but yet every time I read it, there's some more and some new things that I learn about it. Um, and it's been really uh, valuable for me personally, and hopefully it's going to be valuable for you this morning. When I um, was a teenager and I first discovered the Bible for myself, I thought, well, maybe you just start at the beginning and then you read your way through like a normal book. And I you know, started Genesis and there's some interesting stories, got into Exodus and I was like, oh, this is getting a bit hairy don't really know why it's relevant to me as a, as a 14-year-old teenager, but I persevered, and then I got to Leviticus, and I hit the wall because I was just like, there's some interesting things in Leviticus, but I could not persevere through there. So I spoke to my youth pastor at the time, uh, and he encouraged me. He said, oh, don't start there. Like, maybe start in the New Testament and start with the Gospels. Start by reading Matthew. Start by reading one passage at a time or one chapter at a time and write down some of the things that you've seen or some questions that you might have. And that was really helpful for me. So if you, if, you don't re- if you don't do that or you don't have a study Bible, I'd really encourage you to go and get one. Get a Bible commentary that you can uh, have open next to you that you can read. Um, maybe you want to get a commentary on a specific book. I've just put up some examples on the screen there that you can see just to help you read through Acts or Psalms as I've done uh, recently. Or you maybe you're a techno, techno geek and you want to get an app. There are so many good apps out there. You can get something like uh, Solid Joys or the Bible in One Year or this a uh, new one that I heard about recently, which is called uh, Lectio 365, all just different ways to help us uh, read the Bible. And I'm not saying that the Bible is not sufficient in and of itself, but what I am saying is that you can access a variety of tools to actually help you read and understand the fullness of the Bible and open your eyes and your mind and your heart to what you're reading and to the wonders of its pages. And you can read it and you can respond to it, and it'll change your life just like it did for the Magi. Secondly, the Magi sought and recognized the worth of Christ. It's important to note that these uh, Magi were actually pagan astrologers, and they were magicians. They, they were transformed through their worship of Jesus at that very first Christmas, through the reading of the scripture that they had in front of them. They weren't even Jewish, so it wasn't even like a cultural thing for them. Um, most of the people actually in those days were Jewish and knew about this and were expecting a Messiah, but they didn't recognize Jesus when he arrived. So when you read about the Magi in verse 11, it says they came to pay 
homage to Jesus. And that verb can also mean uh, worship in many English translations. Matthew kind of leaves it open-ended for us. But no doubt, these guys were uh, transformed as they worked out the identity of who this person was that they were coming to visit. And the instincts proved right. Not only was this little boy that they were meeting the actual king of the Jews, uh, he's the king of all. And he was Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He's God's son right here with us today. And I think this is fantastic news for all of us, is that Jesus is accessible to all of us, not just us if we think we're Jewish or whatever it is. He is available to every one of you. It doesn't matter where you come from or whatever your history is. And you might be sitting here today and you might have heard some things about Jesus and you might kind of think he's an important guy and that's great. But I'm hoping that you will really get to know him personally today. There's two, two verses that I want to share, and we actually sang about one of them this morning, uh, to summarize why I think Jesus is important for us. The first one is from Romans 3, which says, For everyone has sinned, everyone has messed up, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. And then John chapter 3 says, For this is how we know God loved the world, that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And maybe this is the first time that you've you've heard this, or maybe you've heard this before and it's never really hit home. I want you to encourage you to respond like the Magi did. You might not know all the answers yet, and uh, there's some things that are not totally clear. But that's, that's fine. We're all on this Christian journey together. Uh, and maybe this is the time that you want to take that first step, first step. And I can show you that being Christian is not about following rules or doing all the right stuff. It's about relationship. These magi pursued Jesus because they wanted to have a relationship with him. They wanted to get to know him. And today, you can do the same thing for you. If this is something you want to know more about or this has piqued your interest or you want to get to know this Jesus a little bit more, Love to chat to you afterwards. I'm sure James would be the same. Okay, so two down, two to go. So the third thing the Magi can teach us is that the Magi brought their gifts. So whilst it might not be clear what the significance of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and people have tried to uh, link different associations with each gift, some say that... uh, The gold is symbolic of Christ's deity as king, and the frankincense represents his purity as a priest, and the myrrh is uh, suggestive of his anointed works as a prophet and of his death. So we're not going to get into that debate, but what we can assume about these gifts is that these gifts were not cheap. Uh, It would have been a significant cost for these magis to pay for those gifts and to bring them to Jesus. If you've been around church for the city um, for any length of time, you'll quickly work out that we're not a bunch of pew warmers. Um, you're not going to sit around here and do nothing. You're going to get stuck in. We firmly believe that every one of us has a part to play in this church family and in this church community. Uh, on one hand, that we, we are our body, and we want each of you to have a specific part to play as a body in making this church body fully functional. Uh, if you're the ear and you're not doing anything, we're going to be really difficult. We're going to find it really difficult to listen. Uh, and if you're a bicep, then we really want you to be as strong as you can be as a bicep. Um, while I'm at it, you can jump onto our YouTube channel. We did a series on spiritual gifts where you can hear about how might you be able to find what are you good at and how can you get stuck in to what's going on here in God's church family. 
And then on the other hand, there's some things that you can bring that are going to be costly. Uh, your time, serving your local church, hosting people in your home, uh, serving in local community events. These things take up your time, but they are gifts that are worth giving. Your money, giving money back to God to help reach and to serve our city. It's costly. You might be saving up for the deposit on a house, or you may, might be paying back a big debt. Giving away your money is going to be costly. And I think it would have been the same for the Magi. They gave up their time and their talents and their money, and they pursued Jesus, and it was worth every minute and every cent. And I suppose the best example of this is the actual Christmas story itself, is that Jesus gave himself up, uh, gave up his place in heaven to come down to earth as a baby, restricted by being in human form, born of some insignificant parents in a dirty old stable in the middle of nowhere, um, in a dirty random house, only to be put to death on a cross in our place. That's an incredible and radical sacrifice that Jesus models for us, and we can do similarly. Fourthly and finally, the Magi obeyed God rather than man. Notice that in verse 12, God reveals to them in a dream not to return to Herod to report their findings, but to avoid him to return another way. Now, I can imagine that if those wise men, sorry, can't call them that anymore, if those group of travelers had gone back to Herod, you can imagine that he would have held them accountable for all this uh, uprising that was happening in Israel because he was so insecure and probably a narcissist and looking to blame someone for what was going on. And by following the star, what these guys had done, and by responding to the dream, what they read in Scripture, is that they were responding to what God was doing. And that actually fulfilled a whole lot of Old Testament prophecies at the same time. So perhaps I've been a bit unfair on these magi and painting them uh, as book smart, but a little bit foolish. But what we can admire them for is that they responded to God. They didn't respond to their own intellect. They could have done a SWOT analysis and a pros and cons of which way we go this way, this is quicker, that we'll get through quicker. They didn't respond to their own intellect. They responded to God. And I think that's something that we can uh, give them some accolades for. I wonder where you stand on this spectrum of relying on your own intellect versus trusting in God. Maybe you've read a lot and you've studied a lot and you know a lot about Jesus and he's a an intellectual construct for you. Uh, maybe you call yourself a Christian because of your family heritage or just because it's convenient for you. Well, I don't, I don't want you to miss Jesus today by 30 centimeters. I don't want him just to be something you know in your head. I want him to be someone that you know in your heart. I want him to trust, I want you to trust him with your life this morning. The Christian life isn't going to make total sense uh, this side of heaven, but there will be times that you need to step out in faith just like these magi did and trust that God is leading you. Like the Magi, I suppose there's going to be a journey, and there will be some ups and downs, and there will be some challenges along the way, but I can assure you the reward of knowing Jesus at the end is absolutely worth it. And hey, maybe doing the, the journey in groups of three is a good way to do it. So as, as the band comes up, we're going to respond with a song. I want to first finish by encouraging you and provoking you and prompting you and motivating you to pursue God just like the Magi did. Um, you can become a disciple or a follower. You can study his word and you can read about it and you can talk to him on a regular basis. Uh, meet with your mates and work this Christian journey out together. Whilst Christmas might seem all about gifts and about presents, it's ultimately about the gift, which is Jesus himself. And he's the one who's worthy of our worship. Don't you want to stand? We're going to sing together and we're going to worship this King of Kings that we've 
just heard about.